Angle, right? Yes. I don't see anything. Okay, Harsha Shmos, Sefer Shmos, the book of the Exodus. Um, the good, the good uh, thing I think we're, for most of us, we pretty much know the storyline um, for the next uh, four or five weeks. Because, you know, we, we uh, stay over the story every year by the Seder. We do it pretty fast, and there's obviously a lot of things we want to spend time on. So uh, hopefully we'll have time over the next few weeks to focus on things maybe we don't have time to do when we all we have by the Seder night is you know five six hours to talk about the story so uh here goes so in uh, the very beginning of the uh of the, of the book we're introduced right away it says a new king came into power in Egypt that didn't know Yosef. Famous uh, uh, commentary here that says, 
what do you mean? How could they not know who Yosef was? You know, he was he was the imagine someone saying they didn't know who JF Kennedy was, right? Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. You know, these are Yosef was one of the uh, great leaders uh, of the country. So Rashi says famously or infamously that uh, the leader, of course, he knew who Yosef was. He pretended as if he didn't know him. And this is something that uh, I know Beryl Wine uh, focuses on a lot. And as Jews, especially in America, where Baruch Hashem, thank God, we're very, uh, we're in all houses of power and finance and medicine and real estate and, and politics. We have to remember that we are, uh, it's not our country. It's our country. We're, we're citizens, but uh, we are in exile. You know, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And and uh, we, we, we have to to make sure that all our trust is, is not in people. Not that we have to be, uh, you know, neurotic and not trust people, but we have to really realize that Hashem's in charge. And Hashem wanted Yosef to be in charge, and Hashem changed his mind. So right away, what happens is Paro gets very nervous. He sees the Jews. There are a lot of them. And they are, they are, uh, they're talented. He got, he, he got nervous. It says, Rabba Atsum Mimeno, they're greater than us. So the next, but the next verse is the one I want to focus on. It says, this one, we, we, we actually do quote this one by, by the Seder. Haba Nishak Malo, let us outsmart the Jews. Bad, bad idea. Pen year be, maybe there'll be a lot of them. Let's say another country comes and joins us. The Jews will, will partner with them, and they'll kick us out. So famously, the Talmud in Sota brings down the story that uh, Paro called in his cabinet. Who was his cabinet? Who were his top advisors? It was Bilam, the famous Bilam, who tried cursing us in the desert and hit his donkey. The donkey spoke to him. It was Bilom, Job, the famous Job, Eov, and Yisro, Jethro, Moshe's future father-in-law. Those are the three top advisors. Famously, Bilom says, persecute them, and he's the one that uh, Paro followed his, followed his advice. We know eventually in the desert, and now he, uh, he got uh, killed by the sword. Eov, Job, was quiet, and uh, that's how the book of Job started. That uh, God said to 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 Eov, says you stood by and you were just quiet. You didn't speak up. You didn't show any compassion. You were just passive. Well, well, we'll we're gonna put you in a situation where it's gonna be painful, and uh, you're just gonna end up being quiet. Then also, that's what he got. And Yisro, who at the time was not Jewish, he was a very uh, a knowledgeable man in religions of the world, very known as a wise man, he ran away in protest. And we know that the Talmud says in reward for um, for his uh, running away, and it was clear he was protesting, he wasn't just running away, um, uh, He his grandchildren will be uh, heads of the Jewish court. It's interesting, it doesn't say that his son-in-law would be Moshe. I always find that Kamara a little interesting. You have to run all the way to thousands of years later and to say his son-in-law was going to be Moshe. 
So there's a lot of questions over here. A very intriguing story. Um, hard to understand why Job gets the real raw end of the deal and why is Yisro that much better? He ran away. Eov stood there and was quiet. So there's a number of explanations, which I've seen. And one, uh, the Briskarov famously said, and uh, you can understand his explanation with a story. Uh, there, there was, there was uh, someone who passed away, I think about 15 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago already, Reb Shalom Shvadron. He was the, if you come to my house, uh, you can probably even see it from outside if you don't want to come in because of COVID. There's a nice big picture of Reb Shalom Shvadron. He was the Magad of Yerushalayim. He, he was a very charismatic, powerful speaker, and he, st and he spoke in stories. And you heard, this is a story about him. So he lived in the, I believe, in the Shari Chesed, famous neighborhood, in a famous holy neighborhood in Yerushalayim, in the new city. And he was once in his uh, apartment, and he hears a kid clearly uh, fell, fell outside and hurt himself. He's one of the great people in the city, goes outside, he sees the kid needs to go to, to the local doctor, walks him to the doctor. On the way to the doctor, a woman passes by and kind of assumes the kid is Rabbi Shvadron's grandchild, and he said, and she says to him, "No, God will take care. Don't worry." A hundred, she passes a hundred feet by him, and then she realizes, one second, that was my grandson, and she starts going nuts. Oh my gosh, is he okay? Let me see. Rabbi Shvadron said that you see that when a person cares about something, there's a much different response. Now here you have Rabbi Shvadron, it wasn't even his grandkid, he's the one who took the kid to the, to, to the doctor. But you see how we can flip that switch when we care about something, we, we just can't control our emotions. Says so the Briskarov, Eov stood there. How was he able to stand there? Even if he felt his words would not be heard, but he shouldn't have been able to control himself to stay there and hear Bilam and Paro's sinister plans. That's that that show that he was callous in a certain sense, and uh, that's something which the Torah requires us. The Torah requires us, even when we can't do anything about something, but we have to care. We have to at least pray. We have to do something. And Yisro. He knew that his words would, would, would not be heard, so he just ran away. He was not callous to it. That's one explanation. Another explanation, which is, uh, which is um, probably a little less nuanced but more famous, is that silence is acquiescence. So, you know, we, 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 we say there, there's a concept, Osama al-Dam a person is being, we're, we're, there's no such thing as parav. The only thing that there's parav for is in food. The Chavos says, every single act that we do, again, this isn't meant to be black and white and neurotic, but technically speaking, every act that we do, it's either it's good or it's bad. Like I told one of my uh, study partners the other night. He said, you know, we were learning the, the book, Der Hashem, The Way of God, and he's like, you know what, I get it. I get the theory. You got to be close to Hashem. But until I know the whole Torah, how am I going to know what's right and what's wrong? And I said, you know, it's true. Listen, I've been studying Torah for a long time, and I still don't know all the time what to do. 
But you always can ask yourself, and you usually get a pretty good idea. You ask yourself, is what I'm about to do going to bring me closer or farther from Hashem? And most people, if you if you, you have a pretty good sense, okay, you will, you, you know, every once in a while, you might not guess what the, if something's kosher or it's muksa, but most of the time, if you ask yourself, is this going to be closer or further to Hashem? And this is actually true with, with relationships also. A lot of times someone says, well, how am I supposed to know what my spouse wants? How am I supposed to know what my friends wants, what my kids want, what my boss wants? Well, a lot of times you just ask yourself, is this going to make our relationship better or worse? Right? Okay, moving along over here. So we have uh, Moshe. Uh, I'm going to jump a little bit around here. So Moshe has to run away from Mitzrayim because he's a marked man. And we, he goes to Midian, which is where his future father-in-law had also run. I guess it was uh, the closest place to be far away from, uh, from its rhyme. So in chapter 2, verse 17, what does it say? It says, so he comes to Midian, and the shepherds, this is common in those days. We have the story of Rachel, you have the story of Rebecca, and here... The shepherds came to the well and drove the daughters of Yisro away because Yisro, uh, I guess he he was a man who uh, a man of principle, and the people there were harassing his daughters. Moses got up and saved the girls and watered their sheep. He is on the run. He is trying to be a little bit incognito here, but he comes and he sees a problem. He sees people in pain. Doesn't ask any questions. He gets involved. And this is something which, you know, the again, all these stories are here for us to learn from. You know, I can tell you, you know, I, I, I had the, the privilege of raising money for many different things, local, not local, uh, education, uh, weddings, health issues, emotional health issues. And, you know, when you ask people for money, again, you never can expect money from someone. You never you never know what they're going on, what's going on with them. But sometimes you'll get an answer. Well, you know. I don't know who that is. I don't know who you are. You know, I don't have a connection to it. And again, everyone can make their own, own decisions. But in theory, the Jewish people believe that you can't do everything. A person has to prioritize. But in theory, if a person has the ability, just because you don't have a connection to someone, doesn't mean that you're not obligated to help them. Judaism doesn't believe in that. Judaism believes in, in priorities. There's no question. Sometimes local could have... Could, could have a priority over not local and different needs, have over other needs, no question about it. But as far as the in principle, we we believe that the Torah tells us very, very clearly that just because someone is a stranger, you never met them before, and it's beautiful because in general we do a great job at this. And I, it's incredible. I can raise I raise tens of thousands of dollars and to help people, people have no idea who they are. It's just a beautiful thing. Um, so that's something that we learn from Moshe. So fast forward even more. Hashem says he heard the cries of the Jews many, many years in slavery. Time to save the Jews. Calls out to Moshe in chapter four. Says, 
So Hashem is telling Moshe that he wants him to, to go save the Jews. Moshe says, but they will not believe me, and they will not listen to my voice, for they will say, Hashem did not appear to you. You're a faker. Us Jews aren't pushovers. We know that there's a lot of con artists out there, and there have been a lot of con artists out there, and rightfully so. Moshe said, why should they believe me? I'm coming out of nowhere. It was like it was a, 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 it was a precedent, like after Moshe, for a, th- for a thousand years. For a thousand years, that was the period of prophecy. From Moshe till the end of the first base of Mikdash. It's been a thousand years. Um, but Moshe was the first official. They, they, obviously, the forefathers were prophets, but there wasn't a Jewish people. Uh, it was just like if you hung out in Yaakov's house, you had a prophet on, on campus. But um, this was a new thing. And Moshe reasonably, and we know if you study the laws of Lashon Hara, of, of uh, speaking carefully, the, um, we know that if something is a practical purpose, even if it's negative, it's important to talk about it in, a, in, the, with, in the proper context. So what we find here that Moshe is called to task. Because um, we see the next verse, uh, Moshe gets some leprosy. He gets some tzaras, which is what the people get if you speak Lashnara. So what did he do wrong? So I saw, I forgot who says it, but I saw in the commentaries that they say Moshe did not know they weren't going to listen. Moshe said they will not believe. They will not listen to me. This is what they're going to say. To some degree, Moshe should have been a little bit more suggestive. Said to Hashem, you know what? Perhaps they won't listen to me. Perhaps they'll say this. He didn't know. He probably was right. And, and I'm sure the, the, the issue that Hashem has in Moshe was a very, very slight issue. But we learned from here that we have to be very, very careful, even when we have to be constructive, to not exaggerate and not say things exactly how they are, because it makes a very big difference. Uh, even when we're allowed to do things, so, you know, a lot of times, you no, know, we have to tell someone they're doing something wrong. We have to tell them in 10 different ways. We have to tell them, we have to embarrass them, right? So, so we learn from, from, from here, you got to be very careful to say things exactly how they are and not, and not more than they are. So bottom line is Moshe basically agrees, but then he says, okay, God, this slight problem. Slight problem. Verse 13 says, Moshe objects. First he says, I can't do it. God says, you can. But then he says, how about my brother, my older brother? My brother is two years older than me. He has actually been in Egypt the whole time. He actually was the leader of the Jewish people. No slouch. And I'm going to show up. He's not going to be jealous of me. I, I, I can't do it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, but no thanks. I can't do it if I'm going to make my brother feel bad. And he really, it's clear, he was going to walk away from it. He was not going to save the Jewish people. Now, fine, and God could find ways, but he had an opportunity now to get things rolling, and he was going to slow things down by not, because it may be at someone else's cost. And the lesson is obvious. In Judaism, there's always something called the Mishkal HaChasidut. 
Mishkala Hasidus, the way the, the balance of being a saint. We always ask that to figure out is something truly a good thing? Are there any negative consequences, any things that can come out from it? And uh, sometimes we can have grand ideas, but if they're going to end up being something wrong, you say, you know, you look to Hashem and you say, Hashem, I know what you want me to do. I can't do it. You know, I, certainly I could tell you I'm in Jewish outreach, and there's a lot of ideas out there that sometimes people say, oh, why don't you try this? You'll be able to get more people's attention. People will be more interested. It'll be, make it more appetizing. And, and, a lot, and then a lot of times there's great ideas, but you can't do them because there's going to be a bad uh, side effect. Uh, either hurt somebody or hurt someone's soul. Uh, and here we see from Moshe <laughs> to the extreme, uh, you don't get more of a, of a, a, a bigger whiplash than the Jewish people stalling getting out of Egypt. But then you have on the flip, Hashem tells Moshe, don't worry. Your brother is a tzaddik. He says, don't worry. Aaron, your brother is coming, and he is happy for you. He's happy for you. Incredible. Incredible. He, but, but I saw the Bali Musser say, not only was Aaron happy, but it's clear from the verses and the way it's talked about, it wasn't easy, which means it's not an easy thing. The Torah recognizes it's not only when I, when do I, not only when am I obligated to be happy for you, not only when it's easy for me to be happy for you, like if you and I are not in competition, it's easier for me to be happy for you, right? I couldn't care less about tennis. If someone is the great tennis player, okay, wonderful. If someone says that they're, oh, they're better at basketball, they're good at basketball, okay, well, you know, you know, I thought I was better at basketball. You're better, you know, right? But, but, but you see, it's normal to, to, to feel that way, but we got to do it anyway. And Aaron uh, exemplified that to a degree that it made Moshe comfortable enough. Okay, let's, let's take a step back for a second. You know, with Moshe, Moshe, when he was nine months old, the uh, Egyptians were going to come look for him. He had been, been born early. And his mother, to save his life, because the, the decree was that the, all, the, all the baby boys were going to be put, were going to be killed. So they made a little, uh, little basket for him, little raft, and they put him in the Nile. And Batya, the daughter of Paro, finds him. And she raises him. He grows up in Paro's house. Very uh, ironic. So in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The boy, Moshe, grew up. He became a gadol. He became he, an adult. He came grew and she brought him to the daughter of Paro, and he was a son to her. She called his name Moses. So by Yigdal Hayelet. So he uses the word gadol. And it clearly means he became, uh, he was growing physically. He was maturing. The very next verse, it says, it was in those days, by Yigdal Moshe. The same exact word. Before it said the word by Yigdal, he became great physically. And then it says, he became great again. What does that mean? 
It says he became great and went out to his brothers and saw their pains. That's what it is. So we see the same word used. In fact, we see we we, have, we use the same thing today. When a um, when a girl or a boy becomes bar bar bas mitzvah, they are a gadol, a gadolah. They are they are they've matured. We call a Jewish leader, a Jewish world leader, is called a gadol. Right? There's something about this word gadol. We say at a bris, kisheim, just like we brought our child into a bris, so he, he, we should be able, he should become a gadol, the gadol, become great in Torah and, and, uh, and great deeds. So we understand why when, when a child matures, we call them a gadol, They're, it's clear, there's something growing here. So if the previous verse said that Moshe was already adult, so what does it mean when it says that he grew up? He just grew up before. He grew up again, right? Judaism, you, it's it. 13, 12, you're up. You're an adult. So clearly when it says Vayigdal, it says he became great. doesn't mean that. It means he became great as a person. Spiritually, he became great. And when did he become great? When he went out to see his brother's pain. Greatness in Judaism, greatness from the Torah, is defined if a person is able to think outside of themselves. In fact, Rabbi Dessler and all, all the great philosophical commentators, they say, how does a person become kind? You don't become kind by becoming selfless. You become kind by making more people part of you. That's how it works. If you become selfless, then you, then, then you can't help anybody. The Torah says the way to become great is you actually become great. You become great. You become huge. Everyone becomes part of you. Your orbit is, is, is great. And that's what Moshe did. Moshe, when he, when he was able to look at other people, that's what, and that's when you know all the, all the amazing uh, leaders of, of the Jewish people have always been, and they are, people like that. In fact, it's interesting. You kind of see this in Perkyavos. It says, "Im li mili." If the first thing is, this is this is, I think, from a mental health perspective, is probably very much in uh, corroboration, and doctors as well. If I'm not for me, who's going to be for me? The first thing is, do you got to take care of yourself, not in a selfish way, but to help anybody? The first thing the Mishnah says, "Im li mili." I got to take care of my soul, my emotions, my finances. In fact, you know, I'm, you know, for years now, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit of like a, I like to move and shake a little bit. That's the way I roll. So I really wanted to get involved uh, in the Aguda. You know, they, you know, they're involved in politics and they help things out. And, and, and um, so I spoke to my cousin is very, very involved. He's in a little, little bit of a famous character in the Midwest. And I was kind of looking into, I, you know, maybe in New England, I could do what he does, do it here. And he happens to be a very comfortable uh, financially. And he said, you know what, Naftali, you know, he's like 25 years older than me. Um, he said, you know, I didn't do this when I was your age. This is probably 10 years ago. I'm not saying I, I could do it now. But he said, you know what, 
you got to make sure that your family's all set before you go taking care of the rest of the region and the rest of the world. He said, thank God. I said, thank God. He said, you know, I make a nice living. My wife doesn't have to worry about the, the checks bouncing. I'll, thank God I don't have to worry about paying tuition. Things, things are, all, are good. So I can, I have the bandwidth to help out, you know, uh, in big community issues. Thank God. So he's so, uh, Judaism says you got to take care of yourself. And then what does the Mishnah say? But remember, it's not about you. It says, you got to be humble. Yes, take care of yourself, but it's not all about you. Right? So that's, that's the, uh, the, the uh, beautiful conundrum in, uh, in Judaism. We say it's all about you, but it's not, it's not about you at all. It's about you, but make sure that your eye is, uh, is very big. Okay, we have time for a few more. more uh... Okay, so I think we mentioned this already, this verse, but I wanted to focus on a different point. So Moshe goes out, he sees the pains of his people. Remember, he didn't have to, he was living in the palace. So that's still one of the, the mysteries. How did Power not realize he was Jewish? Did he just couldn't tell his daughter no? It's, it's very hard to know exactly. I haven't never gotten a good explanation of that. So what happens over here? So Moshe goes out and he sees two Jews fighting. He says, stop fighting. And they, they, uh, they mouth off to him, unfortunately. And they say to him, the Jews said to Moshe, who appointed you in charge? Are you a ruler or a judge over us? Are you going to murder us as you murdered the Egyptian yesterday? Because the day before... Uh, Moshe saw an Egyptian killing a Jew, and Moshe killed the Egyptian, and no one was around. So then, when this Jew says, I, are you going to kill us like you killed the other guy? Moshe becomes scared and says, now the matter is known. So simply put, it sounds like he's nervous. Word got out, and he's going to get in trouble. But the commentaries say, I believe the Gemara says, um, certainly the Chavitzayim says, but it means now I know. He's like, now I know why the Jews are in slavery. He says, I don't understand it. The Jews come from wonderful family. They keep their Jewish name. They do all kinds of good things. And yet they do some bad things. But why do they deserve this horrible, horrible uh, existence? And Moshe says, now that I've heard this person tell me that he knows that I murdered, now I know. Now I know why they're enslaved. And you know why, says the Chavetz Chaim? The Chavetz Chaim says, because how did they know that I murdered someone else? There was no one there. Very few people there. There obviously was some Lashon Hara said. Says the Chavetz Chaim, we see that Lashon Hara, you know, we all know this, can undo everything else. You can keep kosher, you can learn Torah, you can daven, you do lots of wonderful things, but we know Lashon Hara, and we actually, I think we all know this intuitively. You ever respect somebody, and then you start hearing them talk and gossip and gossip, and you can, you know, we try not to judge people because we all do it, and we shouldn't judge people, but our, our perception, if someone speaks Lashon Hara, we know, we, we, we have this sense, like, that's not, that's, that, that's really bad. And the Chavetz Chaim says, 
this is the explanation of one of the, probably all of them are cryptic, from Mishlei in Proverbs. He says, some get rich but have nothing. So Chavetz Chaim says, this is like someone can think, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a great person. I do so many good things. I give charity, I learn Torah, keep Shabbos. And they'll come after this world and they'll come to Hashem and they'll see that uh, things don't look so good. doesn't have a good report card. He said, Hashem, what are you talking about? I, I did everything right. He's like, yeah, you know what you did, but you also spoke Lashon Hara. And Lashon Hara can undo all these great things. I saw from my friend, he had a great uh, true story that kind of uh, characterizes this idea. So I actually remember this. I remember when we got our fancy word processor. We had, we got a and we had a typewriter and we got a word processor and it had a screen. It was I remember I don't know I think my uncle got it for us for Hanukkah when we were little and it was like I think one of the first people in our class to get a word processor. It was really cool. So my friend said they got a word processor and his daughter had been working on a eight week the report paper or something and the night before it was due she finally was going to print it up. And she goes to the word processor. She can't find it. She can't find it. Eight weeks of work gone. Right? Technology can't live with it, can't live without it. 11 o'clock at night, he calls up, I guess, the uh, the tech guy on the, on the street. He walks her through with trepidation, going back through, you know, the green and black screen and whatever it was. Huh? And somehow, boom, it, it uh, pops back on the screen. But it, but it likely was going to be gone. Now the friend said a lot of times a person you can you can type 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 you can do mitzvahs and study Torah and you can daven and all these great things and then you come to the end you're about to print up your report from life and it's not there. That can happen from Lashnar. And that's what Moshe said. Now I know why this is happening. So at the beginning of the parsha we know that and this is actually why. Um, uh, uh, Moshe became who he was and Aram became who he was is that Moshe's mother and older sister Yocheved and Miriam they were the midwives and Paro had told them kill the kids and the Torah said that they didn't listen and they made up a story but they risked their lives and then it said they were very good midwives they had nicknames Shifra and Pua because they cooed at the kids and they were nice to them. So what are they known as? They're known as Shifra and Pua. It's interesting. What's their hallmark? That they made cooing sounds and they were nice to the baby. You know, you would think, what would be their claim to fame? You would think their claim to be the fame would be that they saved the kids. You Maybe their name should be Chaya. Chaya and, and uh, whatever you want to call it, right? Um... So, what's going on? Why are they known for this relatively little act? So, Rebruderman, the famous uh, Rashiva from Baltimore, uh, I think he may have even been my Sandik. Um, not sure. But um, he says that you see from here that what defines a person is often the quote unquote not great things. Most of us are able to step up for big things. Someone needs you to save their life. Most of us are going to do it. 
it's a great thing. It might not be easy, but we're going to do it. Most people are pretty good at doing the big things. What's a lot harder and what says who a man or woman is, is the things that aren't so glorious, the things that aren't so obvious, things you don't get so much credit for. And that's what who made them who they were. If, yeah, it was amazing. Yes, they're, what's going what's gonna to be and make them famous was saving the Jewish people. But what defined them was the fact that they, 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 they could have patted themselves on the back and they said, look, look, we did, we saved the day. And there's no question, I'm sure we all relate to, I certainly can relate to this. You know, it's, you know, when you uh, get involved in a big program, you, you, you save the day, you raise a lot of money, whatever it might be. Someone becomes, uh, you know, someone gets married, whoever it might be. But, you know, the day-to-day -day being nice isn't always so easy. And that's what um, Reb Ruderman said we learn from, uh, from this. Running out of time. Okay, maybe we'll skip. We'll say two more ideas. Um, in chapter 2, verse 6, so Moshe is in the Nile. Basia is going to the mikvah. She's in the Nile. And she, uh, what does it say? She opened it and saw the child, and behold, a youth was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. So there's a whole progression there. Says she opened it, she saw him, he was crying, then she took pity, and then she said he was Hebrew, he was, he was Jewish. You know, basically, before she even realized that the kid was Jewish, she was being merciful. She didn't think about it. Really, she would have thought about it right away. She would have figured out the kid was Jewish, because probably some other was trying to save her kid. But when we, we see from the, the Torah's progression that her first reaction was just compassion. Not thinking, you know, let's figure out what's going on over here. Who's kidding? No, no, no. This kid needs someone to step in and just take care of him. When afterwards, and she realized, she took pity, eventually she realized, oh, must be the kid's Jewish. So Ramosha Feinstein, uh, actually his Talmud, Ramosha Walpin, says that, that that's what you see from her. You see that, if you look throughout the Torah, I think it's in three places, it says the word chesed and emes together. Emes is like rationale, what's true, and chesed is basically mercy, kindness. Whenever you see in the Torah chesed and emes together, chesed's always first, chesed the emes. And that is the as 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 important. We know Hashem's name is truth, but the first foot forward, our first most salient feature, is our mercy. Yes, we have to then see is something true? Is it not true? What's the smartest thing to do? But we our first foot forward, and I think this is a great lesson in uh, with people. Sometimes they wonder, like, why is someone not appreciating what I'm doing? Don't they realize how true it is? Don't they realize how much I care? Well, no, they probably don't realize how much you care. And that's, uh, they say famously, when Nissan Walpin said this idea, I think it was in Ramosha's husband. He said, Ramosha Feinstein was the, everyone knew he, he was a man of truth. He knew the Torah backwards and forwards. But he was also known that anyone who would come and ask him for a letter of approbation, a letter of askama, some sort of thing to, to, to support something, he was easy. 
usually at so much so it came to the point that it wasn't even considered such a great letter to have because Ramosha Feinstein would write it for everybody. He, he was so, you know, so, um, so, uh, so, so Reb Nissen Alpert, he, uh, he said that, you, so, but you see that his great Rebbe Ramosha, there was no one who was more committed and dedicated to the truth than Ramosha Feinstein, but his first foot forward was always kindness, mercy, and don't worry, you're not going to sacrifice the truth. You don't, you, 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 it, 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 it's not one or, um, or the other. Lastly, before we do a quick review, famous story of Bastia. Every kindergarten teacher says it. What exactly happened, no one really knows. But all the projects say that Bastia, she saw the, uh, the baby in the basket, and she couldn't reach it, and she reached out, and then she, her hand got longer, and she was able to get the baby, which was impossible to get uh, from a natural perspective. And all the, I think I've, I've seen recently in uh, Rabbi Dessler, but everyone really says it, that this is the paradigm for how this world works. This, Hashem wants us to do the best we can, best we can physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is. If we do the best we can, if we reach as far as we can, Hashem will make it happen. The rest is up to Hashem. Hashem can, Hashem, well, when does Hashem kick in? Obviously, Hashem is always there. But when does Hashem break nature in a certain sense? When we, we reach nature, when we push the end of nature, when we reach nature, we, we've used all the assets and the skills that Hashem gives us, then Hashem says, okay, I'll take over. But we're not supposed to say, you know, listen, you know, Hashem, just do it. No, that's not how it works. But when we really want to do something good, Basia really cared, and she wanted to save that baby. She did everything she could, and then, in fact, she was uh, able to do it. So a person never should say, I can't do this, I can't do that. If you really want to do something, you do the best you can, and Hashem will uh, do the rest. So just a quick review over here. Obviously, this is the story of the Jewish people. We, uh, we could talk all night, and we do that in a few months. First thing we learned, we learned the the uh, danger of being quiet, the, the two-headed danger. On the one hand, when you're quiet, you're sort of agreeing. On the other hand, if you're quiet and there's something so important, it should be impossible to contain yourself if you really, really care. We learned how you have, you have to have the uh, proper value to care about strangers. That Moshe... Um, is held responsible for maybe not exactly saying, maybe exaggerating a little bit. And we, you know, when we see other people, we say, oh, that person doesn't, never gets anything right. No. Did it say wrong? Most of the time. Never might be. We said how Moshe, um, he was so, it's so important to not hurt other people's feelings. We saw how important it is to be happy for other people. And yes, even when it's not easy. We talked about how a person becomes great when they bring other people into their orbit. That's how it becomes part of your eye. We learned that Lashon Hara can really undo everything. Uh, we learned how even though you have the great, great things, often the things that define a person are the day-to-day -day simple things. We learned how... Ramosha Feinstein 
even though being committed to the truth does not have to be at the sacrifice of being kind and being merciful. And lastly, we, we, we learned from Basia that if you do the best you can, as much as you can, and you want to do something good, Hashem, Hashem will, 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 uh, will do the rest. And right now, I think that actually that's a really good message because right now I know a lot of people feel, given some of the current events in some parts of the world, uh, people feel a little bit like, like, what can I do? I feel helpless, you know, different things. Uh, how do I help the situation? And the answer is you only do what you can do. And what you can do for most people, certainly in this part of the country, is uh, you, you do the, you, a lot of these things that we said tonight. You do the small things right. Everyone does a lot of small things right. You do everything that, that, that you can do. Then Hashem kicks in because he's the only one who really uh, could solve things that no one really can. Have a great Shabbos, and uh, thanks for coming on.